To episode three, season two of Zap. In the course of making this podcast and also starting my own project, Map, I have spent a good deal of time investigating viable options for alternative building materials. My favorite one thus far is hempcrete, and for this reason, I reached out to Kirby Hancock. Kirby is an architect working with think tank architects of Bozeman, and is also the founder of a company called Transformative Ecologies. Recently, Kirby collaborated with the Montana Farmers Union and MSU to experiment with hempcrete, which is what drew me to seek out an interview with him. Hempcrete is a mix of hemp stalks and lime that can be used as a building material. In this conversation, we talk about some barriers to the use of hemp building products in our state, from lack of processing facilities to lack of sufficient testing and conventional use. We also cover a few other bonus topics, so if you're interested in alternative materials, don't miss this interview. And now, please enjoy my conversation with Kirby Hancock. Kirby Hancock, I contacted you because you are the founder of a company called Transformative Ecologies, and I saw an article online regarding a collaboration with the Montana Farmers Union uh, Montana State University's engineering and department and transformative ecologies. And I wanted to know more about that because you guys are looking at working with hemp related products in Montana. So um, I wondered if you would perhaps start off with describing. Well, actually, if you would like to talk a little bit about transformative e ecologies and the work you do and how you became interested in hemp products. Sure. So uh, Transformative Ecologies is a business I started about three years ago uh, with an emphasis on sustainable design and became really interested in hempcrete and using that, um, but locally sourcing the material wasn't available. Um, and so that has kind of led me down a long rabbit hole of trying to source uh, Montana grown hemp. Uh, which has led me to becoming more involved with farmers um, and getting a greater understanding of their perspective and just um, the markets in general, just seeing the, the need to go towards more sustainable uh, building materials and healthier homes. Um, and I think hemp is a very potential avenue to help create that reality. Would you like to describe... Um, I mean, I know some about hempcrete because I'm interested in it, but many people I talk to have no idea what it is. Would you mind just briefly telling us what hempcrete is? Sure. So it's a combination of the hemp herd, which is the inner part of the hemp stalk, uh, which is very high in cellulose. It's kind of like a woody core. And that gets chopped up into small pieces and mixed with traditionally a lime-based binder. Um, and then it's cast into place. 
and depending on its use um, depends on its density and kind of mixture ratios um, it's something that's been used for you know, thousands of years but we're just kind of rediscovering it with the recent reenactment of uh, farmers growing hemp again so it's old technology but it's time to kind of bring that up to modern times um, and so one of the challenges with that aside from the challenges on the agricultural side which ranges from everything from knowing what varieties to grow and how to harvest it um, and places to process it also on the construction side there just is a lot of lack of testing behind it um, so there's no real good data on it it's starting to change and there is getting to be more info and um, there's movement towards you know getting it accepted in our building codes and just the critical thing is getting standardization and data behind it just like you would for any other building product that's ul rated or at what is it astm uh tested and qualified you know so that's what building officials are looking for to approve certain materials and since that's not in place it's really not getting used to its uh maximum potential at the moment but there's definitely a lot of i think interest in it becoming more of a conventional product so I've seen, uh, you know, a few samples of hempcrete homes that were built in the United States. I think I've heard in Canada, and from what I've read in Canada, they uh, actually do have some contractors working with hempcrete and in other states as well. So are you saying that in those other states where they're working with hempcrete, uh, even the minimal amount that might be occurring in the United States, that they've found a way of standardizing it? Um, is there any way of partnering with them? Um, well, right now it's being used primarily as an insulation replacement is how a lot of people are using it through uh, code municipalities. Um, huh. And the thing that, you know, I've learned working with MSU and the structural department there is that there is a lot of potential for structural uses. We just don't have that knowledge and history behind us yet as far as, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for innovation in the binder materials themselves um, we were looking at things that you could buy easily at your local hardware store just lime and cement but um, there's a lot of room for innovation with ceramic materials or uh, different natural binders it's just getting over the availability and supply chain issues as well as contractor knowledge of how to work with it and install it there's big learning curve there across the industry it's not like it's that difficult to install it's just understanding how to do it properly and how it behaves differently than uh, some conventional materials yeah so i have uh, myself uh, i i chipped some hemp over the summer some hemp stalks and have wanted to find a location to experiment kind of like what i've read that you have been doing in conjunction with the montana's farmers montana farmers union and uh, the msu engineering and i wondered uh, so do you do you guys have a space somewhere uh, in in the bozeman or great falls area where you are experimenting with these materials right now um we don't right now um and that project that we had going last spring has uh come to a close um, so 
that's over, but we're still looking for other avenues of implementing it into buildings. Um, and that's one of the key things with it that's also a challenge is that we just don't have good precedents around to be able to show people um, its natural beauty and just the different feeling you have inside of a hemp space. So that's definitely something that um, continuing to look for, having the right client that understands some of the obstacles with a new material um, and just getting over that learning curve is also crucial. Um, so there's just a lot of different factors that haven't quite all come together yet for a good building space to do it on a larger scale. Yeah, I hoping, have, oh, go ahead. But I'm hoping that'll change. <laughs> Me <long>. too. <laughs> um, in the course of my research uh, into affordable housing and creating options, uh, I came across hempcrete and have become convinced myself that as a locally sourceable uh, sustainable material that's non-toxic and can be used for far more than insulation uh, and also is grown widely in Montana I thought wow this is a perfect uh, new building material for us to experiment with but um, some of the problems you already mentioned um, like uh, there's so much hemp being grown in Montana but no processing facilities to really process the hemp stalks on an industrial scale. I, I wonder if you would talk maybe a little bit about that, creating facilities like that and the cost and where that money would come from. Sure. Um, there are some uh, companies that are starting to get into that a little bit up around the Highline area in Montana, um, but there's no place actually producing product that can be bought quite yet. Um, I know Farmers Union is working to get a processing facility up around Great Falls area or Highline area, um, which will hopefully go underway this winter, but that's uh, not something I'm, I know the dates or specificities on. Um, there's just been, you know, there's been a lot of buzz about large processing in Montana over the last couple of years. It just, I haven't seen it done yet, <laughs> um, yeah. but there are, there are places that are definitely making headway on it. Um, it's just not there for widespread markets quite yet, but hopefully, hopefully by spring of 2021, there'll be some options to be able to source some locally grown hemp fiber and herd. Well, that would be incredible. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, as part of my research, I feel that to really create viable and quality uh, affordable housing options in Montana, not only would uh, hemp processing have to become a reality, but then not, not only the processing facilities, but then also the construction facilities for such a project would also have to be <laughs> uh, created. And um, I was looking at... Uh, watched a re webinar recently from a company called S2A Modular and they're doing some really interesting stuff with um, yeah constructing modular homes designed to each customer's specification uh, in factories that are net zero which I found really fascinating uh, and they're focusing on energy efficiency and I asked if they use hempcrete and they said yes uh, so, you know, I looked into where they're looking to open new factories and they're looking to open new factories basically anywhere but Montana. And then <laughs> I asked, <laughs> you know, well, could something smaller be uh, brought to Montana? And, you know, unfortunately, we don't 
you know, while here in Montana, we recognize that we have a housing crisis and there's lots of people moving here, driving our prices up. It's not on the same scale as it is in other states for it to really be identified as a place where you know, the urgency will also turn back a certain level of profit, <laughs> as far as I can tell. Right. So I just wonder if you have any thoughts on, you know, not only the processing of hemp, but then the type of facility that would be needed to uh, create affordable structures, because in my opinion, um, affordable structures need to be created in a repeatable process. Sure. Yeah, those are some great points. Um, I think there's definitely a lot of potential for prefabrication, either analyzed or modular uh, building components with hempcrete. Um, again, yeah, it takes a certain amount of infrastructure to be able to create that, such as like a big warehouse to be able to build it and, you know, set it and cure it. Um, but one of the nice things about hempcrete when it's done on site is that there's really minimal processing in it. Um, going from just the first stage of raw processing where you're breaking up the stock and separating the fiber from the herd, um, once it's screened and kind of categorized by size, it's you know ready to be mixed and, and formed right then. There's really not a whole lot of embodied energy that goes into it when it's done that way. Um, so that's that's the plus side of doing it on on site, um, but to really reach the masses and you know, like you're saying, address some of the critical human, humanitarian issues that we're facing with housing, um, it would need some larger infrastructure. And you know, some of the early estimates that I've done for a facility like that, you're looking in the range of probably three to six million dollars. To get yeah. going. So. I, I think you're, I think you're right about that. Um, this company S2A Modular was estimating, you know, $20 million for a factory, but such a factory has an output um, geared towards serving a Seattle market, you know, instead of a <laughs> Montana and, market. So. And it depends on the sophistication of it. You know, there's, we're getting into the era when uh, AI is becoming a reality with, machines building it and so depending on the sophistication of the building plant you know 20 million isn't isn't unreasonable but um i think it just depends on the kind of level of technology that you're putting into it um you know 3d printing is another potential avenue for hempcrete but again you're looking at uh high machine costs and uh some innovation and research and development still needing to be done but those are definitely i think the future that's not that far away huh. i had not i had not heard of 3d printing with hempcrete that sounds really interesting yeah they're able to use uh, different ceramics like quick set ceramics and so um, it would go around and you know build it up a few inches at a time and just make multiple passes and build up walls and you know it's pretty wild i haven't wow. built anything but there's some some cool uh videos out there on it and it's not that far from being a reality in my mind <laughs> well that is that's exciting um so you know that's another way of of minimizing rather than modular costs of building a factory you'd have a large machine that you would set up on site and program it and let it go and 
<laughs> build your house for you or building potentially. So, Oh, I see. So instead of having that machine located in a factory, you would move it around and it would create the home on site. That's so interesting. Right. Yeah. You would just feed it the raw materials and it would have an output and nowhere to put it out <laughs> and build a wall uh -huh. or whatever or floor. Oh, that's just fascinating. I'm going to have to look into that more. That might be more cost effective than a factory, right? Less footprint. <laughs> Potentially, yeah. yeah. Uh, ideally, I also like to think that um, building hempcrete homes in a factory setting, just to come back to a factory for a moment, uh, would be able to um, employ some folks too. I guess that's uh, another benefit that I saw of a, a factory setting now versus a something like a heat 3d hemp printer but i'm sure people have to be there to move it around and make sure it's working correctly <laughs> sure yeah and that's you know that's the human touch versus machine argument you know and that's where you know there's a lot of value in craftsmanship and doing something well that i think can never be replaced by a machine um but just looking at other options for bigger solutions i think is something we should be open to and what, ha in terms of looking for other options and bigger solutions, what kind of reaction do you get uh, in your area when you talk about things like hempcrete and building structures with it? Do we do get people, uh, are people interested? Yeah, there's a mixed reaction. Some people are really interested and have no idea <laughs> what they're getting into. And other, other people are very pessimistic and some people are very realistic as to you know what the expectations are and what the challenges are at hand um, but i think there's definitely a lot of excitement around it um, just from an energy standpoint and finding healthier solutions you know yeah just can't keep building in a cradle to grave model that we have been for so long we need to in my opinion, started embracing the cradle to cradle model and looking at material life cycles from start to completion, you know, so that we're not just filling up landfills with toxic materials. Yeah, exactly. Not to mention that um, all of the toxic materials we use in our home building currently uh, have health effects and whether or not you can say like it, we have such high rates of cancer because of you know, building materials, that's, you know, undetermined, but um, removing toxic materials from our living spaces could have, you know, incredible health effects in the good direction <laughs> that we right. can't even foresee yet. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's a lot of what got me into architecture was in my early 20s, I was a cabinet maker and was doing a lot of finish work. And so much exposure to it eventually made me incredibly sick to the point that I was coughing up blood and having a lot of bad respiratory issues. And that was really the big eye opener for me as far as, you know, what goes into construction materials that we just take for granted and often overlook the labor and exposure um, that people have to those materials along the way. Um, a lot of consumers just see that end result product that's, you know, still emitting some VOCs, but it's, likely not as bad as the exposure is the person that made it. So we just have to, I think, consider that from start to finish. Um, and, and not only, you know, building 
homes that are more healthy, but also paying attention to what demographic can live in those homes. Because right now I feel that, you know, sure, a building might be LEED certified or it might, you know, be built sustainably or something like that. But those structures are never for, you know, affordable housing units. It's never for people in the lower income demographic. And I think that also really has to change. Um, I wondered, uh, to, to move on a little bit, one of the barriers I've come across to um, hemp becoming a viable building material quickly is that it's still illegal on the federal level. And I wondered if you would talk about how that affects your attempts right now in Montana to, you know, get farmers to grow hemp, um, to work with hemp-related products. Yeah, um, a lot of that's been handled state to state. The USDA hasn't come out with a formal plan that a lot of places have accepted, in my understanding. Um, this is, again, another challenge with hemp over the last decades, but more so over the last five years is just the changing regulation of it. Um, in Montana, it's been under the Montana Department of Agriculture's um, oversight, and they've got their own growing program. Um, I grew this year, which, you know, required a large upfront fee, um, documenting everything uh, as far as who would be involved, what species you'd be growing, uh, what locations and sizes, uh, acreage you'd be planting in. And so I think Montana's done a really good job at taking precautionary steps to help build the industry. Um, but as a nation, there hasn't been a great oversight of plan and really implementing infrastructure. You know, there was a lot of money that went into Kentucky hemp processing, but there wasn't really the steady supply there to um, facilitate that. So there's, Hmm. It's it's been state to state, and really, we should be looking at it nationally um, to get cooperation across state lines. So there's been a lot of mixed messages as far as you know. Some of the early transporters <laughs> going through Idaho is one story, I think, or in the Midwest of um, getting confiscated with hemp, which oh. is is legal, <laughs> um, <laughs> but depending on which state so there's some hurdles there i think it's making progress but yeah the legislation and regulatory side is a constant debate and a lot of the challenge there is the cbd side has gotten a lot of the attention and so a lot of the focus has been on thc content and cbd content um and i think people are missing a lot of the bigger picture of the hemp and fiber side and you know replacing bioplastics and construction materials and a lot of these uh, regular products that are you know oil-based or chemical-based could easily be replaced with hemp and I think that's the bigger picture we should be looking at. And so you said that you uh, you grew some hemp this past year? I did, yep. And about, oh go ahead. It was about two acres and um, I also worked with MSU again, Montana State University um, and their agronomy department was kind enough to plant two of the varieties that I was planting. Um, so I got some, some expert planting as well than my amateur farmer planting. But uh, it, was, it was interesting to see the different results and the different varieties. And you know, I'm 
still uh, still a believer that it can be a big product in Montana. So, uh, cool. So you grew the you grew the two acres of hemp, and then are you using those plants for experimentation, seeing what the fiber is like, which ones produce the most stock material, or what's your focus? Yeah, with those? exactly. Um, uh, a lot of it's redding right now, so it's drying and curing. Um, but I plan to run it through a small chipper as well, and you know, break it up and start to see what kind of content is inside and um, how much yield I'm getting from the two different types that I grew. Oh, interesting. And are you using the leaves or anything else for CBD or, or is it that type of hemp? Um, it's not. It's more of a fiber variety. There is a small flower and seed at the top, but um, majority of it is just stock. And by the time it dries out, there's really not much else left. So okay. I'm, just, I'm just experimenting with the stock. The birds have really picked all the <laughs> seeds and everything off it while it's been drying. So they've enjoyed that. <laughs> And it sounds like you said you're going to, just like I did, run it through a little wood chipper and see what happens. Yep. Um, can run it down and run it through various screens as well to start to separate it and quantify it. Um, but, you know, it's definitely small scale experimental still at this stage. Um, but just, I think it's a valuable experience just to get a better handle of, you know, what farmers go through planting it and harvesting it as well as just understanding its cure times and just having a better grasp of the plant as a whole. Yeah. Um, do you foresee that you'll continue growing it? I haven't decided yet. It's hard to say. It's, uh, it's costly and labor intensive and um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it doesn't pay very well quite yet, but I think it's, you know, I don't know that I'd, ever get it to a large manufacturing scale, but uh, I think it's more just an educational tool for me right now. But we'll yeah. see. Huh. Um, and w when I talked to you briefly before, you had talked a little bit about permaculture. Um, and I <clears throat> worked on a permaculture farm this past summer, and I'm really interested in permaculture myself. And um, I wondered, we usually don't hear about permaculture being used to grow hemp um, it's a really a consumptive crop uh, hemp consumes a lot of nutrients from the soil so I wondered if you had any thoughts on uh, growing hemp sustainably yeah I think it's a good rotational crop um, you don't want to repeat it in the same spot year after year without providing extra nutrients to the soil um, Part of my growing experiments this year with it was doing some rooftop uh, growing. So oh. seeing how well it would do in thin soil layers on top of uh, built up roofs. As I'm a big fan of green roofs, um, as yeah. far as providing habitat as well. You know, there's so many uh, positive benefits you can get from green roofs, especially in urban environments where you're you know, reducing the heat island effect as well as providing some habitat for pollinators and birds, um, as well as sequestering carbon. So that's something I played with and had some had some success with that, um, which I think could be potentially an option in urban environments or covering large manufacturing buildings uh, with green roofs. Um, so 
That would be amazing. I'm, I'm only familiar with green roofs using things like sedums. And <laughs> right, yeah, usually it's just a kind of a cover foliage of some sort. Um, but I think it'd be interesting to look at it as really a carbon harvester, sequester, um, which hasn't been done to my knowledge as far as I know. So that's just another spoke on the wheel that I'm interested in on the building side with it. <clears throat> Got to look at all the possibilities. <clears throat> sure. Um, <clears throat> so what you said that in the, the collaboration that you had going with the Montana Farmers Union and MSU Engineering, it sounds like that was a little bit on hold. And I wondered what your goals are for hempcrete in the near future and other hemp-related building products. Yeah, I'm interested in building a structure of my own with it um, as a demonstration building, either as a mobile unit or um, as a small cabin. So that's kind of my priority as far as building. Um, I'm hoping that you know, Montana Farmers Union seems to be focused primarily on the processing side right now and figuring out the sourcing and the equipment to, to get some of that raw processing done. I think once that's established, they'll likely, in my opinion, be looking more at products and, um, you know, added value to that raw material. It's hard to say, you know, as an industry where it's headed, but it, I keep seeing more and more progress and uh, it seems like fiber has been gaining more attention over the last year or so. So that's, I think, encouraging. And what type of structure are you thinking you'll build? One of them, one thought is like a mobile office pod. So, you know, in response to some of the pandemic issues of people working at home and needing kind of a space for business, uh, that's, that's one option there. Um, I also have some mountain property that is kind of one of my building experiment areas <laughs> where no oh, perfect got work with uh we've got a sawmill up there so it's a lot of timber framing as well as planning to do some hemp structures up there so um i've got a composting outhouse that's framed up and sided with materials that i milled up there that's waiting for some hempcrete infill um, as well as hope to do some larger, more substantial buildings out of hempcrete in the future. Oh, wow. Well, I know I'm far away, but given that I don't know almost anyone planning to build with hempcrete, uh, aside from myself, uh, if you need help, feel free to let me know. Or um, I would also be interested in a follow-up interview at some point uh, to see how it's going with the hempcrete construction. Um, I have my own plans. Uh, would like to start building something with hempcrete in the springtime. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Some of the biggest problems I've identified with affordable housing are that people who are in the lower income ranges, you know, are mostly confined to renting. And the problem with renting is that you're constantly putting your money every month into someone else's livelihood instead of your own. So it kind of can constantly keep a person disadvantaged. So my goal is to make a unit that people, especially in the lower income ranges, can, can afford, can purchase, and you know, then build their own equity rather than being trapped in a cycle of constantly renting. Um, and if it's a mobile unit, it can be produced in one location and moved to another location. You know, um, that's my, that's my long-term goal for my project.
right now I'm working on a converted bus on converting a bus. So, you know, I identify several avenues to answer the affordable housing question and the bus is easy, more accessible <clears throat> for now, but hempcrete is something that is a, a bit more of a mystery and a bit more, uh, what's hard to reach. <laughs> what's the okay. word I'm looking for? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> then what do you plan to do if you, you know, build successfully with hempcrete? Will you then keep uh, in that vein and just build and build and build? Or what are your plans? Um, we'll see. I mean, my, so my full-time job is an architect for Think Tank Architects here in Bozeman. Um, and so that's where a lot of my energy and focus is, is on currently and the projects within that. Um, we're currently working on what will... I think be the first lead certified neighborhood um, to help address some of the affordable housing in the area. But again, like you're saying, it's, it's a challenge as far as, um, you know, what's really considered affordable isn't affordable for most people in this area. Yeah. So I'm hoping that, you know, we'll continue, continue to grow within uh, think tank as well. And they're open to, a lot of these ideas as far as sustainable housing and you know very conscious of what our footprint is in this area and hopefully doing it in a thoughtful way um, and part of why I was drawn to this company is you know their ideals around sustainable materials they were one of the first to use CLT uh, cross laminated timbers in the area and in the state mm -hmm. and so they're not afraid of innovation which I like and uh, you know hopefully as as the supply come supply chains become more stable and materials get a little bit more testing and development behind them um, I'm hoping you know to integrate that into my professional practice at think tank as well so well, that's very interesting and then transformative ecologies would you like to talk uh, at all about your founding that company and if that has anything to do with your current pursuits with hempcrete and think tank design? Yeah, so um, Transformative Ecologies has just kind of been that incubator for this research and development with hemp. Um, and it's been, you know, separate from think tank, but, you know, of course we think about materials every day <laughs> as designers. And so that's something that, you know, should the opportunity arise and we get uh, the proper pieces in place, then I think it'd be a great, uh, a pretty easy step to, you know, take that information into designing it for a client. You know, that's, that's really what I'd like to see it get applied to is some larger scale buildings and, you know, get clients excited about it. So. Um, I don't want to, take up too much more of your time, Kirby. I wondered if there's anything that we haven't covered that you would like to mention. Um, yeah, I think just touching on the permaculture side again, you know, looking at food as part of it, which again is why I'm excited to be an architect at Think Tank is we're looking at planning solutions for the area. And one of those being how we grow our food and get it, um, I think, the pandemic has definitely brought to our attention the vulnerability of our food system, um, yeah. which has been you know, evident to a lot of people, but it really hit home when shelves are empty in a grocery store. And 
not only are people becoming more health conscious of it, but also, you know, just the reality of, of its availability should some type of inf infrastructure fall or a processing plant closes. We think about development and growth, at least around Bozeman. Um, we need to think about the soils that we're building on. Um, there's a lot of very rich farmland around here that's, you know, getting sold to developers and getting paved over and it's never going to be seen again. So we need to be more thoughtful as, as to our footprint on that. And I think there's just growing data that shows that local food, you know, encourages not only healthy habits, but can create community. And there's just so many other benefits around it that we need to stop overlooking that. I mean, when it, when it comes to affordable housing, I, I've ended up paying a lot of attention to food and where our food comes from because after the cost of housing, I think, you know, the monthly cost of paying for food is maybe one of the next biggest expenses that people have aside from maybe healthcare and um, maybe people who are in the higher income ranges don't really have to worry about the quality of their food because they can buy organic and such. But people in the lower income ranges really don't have the same access, uh, and especially there are large parts of Montana that are considered food deserts because <laughs> exactly. there might just be one tiny grocery store, you know, with a few, you know, a couple week old vegetables or however <clears throat> old those things are. I wondered, you know, I, you, I meet a lot of people, like I lived in Hot Springs over the summer and so many people there were growing their own food and it still, it still doesn't seem like it's ever enough. Even if you meet a lot of people who are growing their own food, they're still getting things at the grocery store. And I, I wondered what your, um, what your opinion is on people's willingness to grow their own food. As in like, <clears throat> if you package the affordable housing uh, issue within also the need to grow your own food, I wonder, and I've been trying to figure out how willing people are to grow their own food or if it should be, you know, like people talk about intentional communities and how they frequently never work. <laughs> well, is it because we have the wrong expectations of people, like just expecting that they'll want to grow their own food? Do you have any feedback on that? Yeah, I think you're, you're spot on with that. Um, I mean, we've got a pretty large permaculture garden going here and it still is you know, a fraction of, of our food expense or consumption. Um, but I think it's a small step in the right direction. Um, just by growing something, you have a greater appreciation for it. Um, and I think, you know, there's a nutrition value there that we're not measuring. Um, but with that thought on larger planning or larger scales or neighborhoods, I think that's something that we've overlooked as far as, maintenance or planning, you know, and incorporating that into part of a neighborhood development where people that do enjoy pulling weeds all day, you know, can <laughs> at it, you know, while, while some people that may not be as enthusiastic about it, but love eating a fresh salad or fresh produce, you know, wouldn't help support that. So either, you know, it could be as simple as an HOA that, part of those fees would go towards employing gardeners or, you know, I think that there's a lot of, a lot of oper options there that just haven't been explored. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what you just said about the HOA, 
was something that I was thinking about myself where within a larger collective, if, you know, people who don't want to grow their own food <laughs> pay the difference or something like that, where someone else benefits for having that job or something. Um, but yeah, I look at how we live these days and look at all the possibilities for the future and how intelligent human beings are. And it shocks me that up until this point, we haven't really been able to make much headway with how we live. And um, for my part, I really hope that that changes over the years. I think people, I think we have the resources to, to live better, but we just keep on living as, as per the status quo. Do you have any thoughts on other other barriers to uh, affordable housing, living sustainably, or any other thoughts? Um, you know, I guess just going back to the area in Bozeman here and addressing sprawl, and you know, there's pushback from from growing more densely and more vertically, but I think that that's a direction we need to go in order to consolidate a lot of the infrastructure you know I, I love the idea of everybody having their own home but there's only so many wells and septic tanks this valley can handle and so looking at you know the shocking reality of poop and water comes <laughs> comes to play you know quite a bit especially in in this area and just looking at some bigger solutions um i think for creating density, but at the same time, preserving conservation and, and areas to um, continue healthy eco ecological systems, um, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I, I do. I, I've wondered a lot about composting toilets and why we can't. This is like another separate complete business idea <laughs> yeah. where <laughs> like to make composting toilets possibili a possibility, a real possibility, you almost have right. to have a whole separate company called like humanor or something like that, you know, that then, yeah. um, I don't know, distributes the processed humanor to like flower, <laughs> flower beds all across Montana or something like that. Um, but without that system or without a way to process that, you know, constantly, I mean, it, it's a resource that's like constantly being, you know, produced. We don't have to do anything except like eat some food. And then we have this, you know, wonderful <laughs> compost and we just flush it away with drinking water, which is also right. kind of absurd. But um, that's another thing. Maybe it's because it's not glorious enough or, but um, folks, if somebody I think would come up with some business idea to process uh, human feces into something usable, that would be really, really useful. I would agree. <laughs> oh, Kirby Hancock. Thank you so much for talking to me about all of this stuff today. And, uh, and I meant what I said. If you start building with hempcrete, let me know. Great. I will. Thank you so much and have a beautiful day. You too. Take care. <laughs> Thanks, Kirby. <laughs> Bye. You were just listening to an interview with Kirby Hancock, founder of Transformative Ecologies and architect at Think Tank Architects out of Bozeman, Montana. If you enjoy Zap and find yourself more informed than before, please share. It is available free on all major platforms where podcasts are found. If you or anyone you know would like to contribute an interview, if you want more information about each episode, 
or to find out how to support this podcast, visit the Zap page at anchor.fm and feel free to send me a message. Special thanks to Missoula Community Radio for your ongoing mentorship and open learning platform. Thank you for joining the Zootown Affordable Housing Podcast. Affordable is stable. Afford means that you're able to make your wages last through debt, rent, or expenses while even retaining some senses. Stability with the ability to do things differently with dignity. Sustainable attainable, retainable, unstrainable. Oh, hello, information, help believe this situation and zap. So many alternatives, so many voices, filled with ideas on how to live, start making choices that improve the collective and zap. Incentivize creation and zap from all collaboration.